For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. If you're a Disney Plus subscriber and you're watching The Mandalorian, Jack and I have a podcast for you. Every week, we'll discuss the latest episode of The Mandalorian and talk about other great content and maybe some not-so-great content on Disney Plus as well. As two lifelong Star Wars fans, we have a ton of fun geeking out over all the little details of the show, and we want you to join us every Monday. So search for Disney Plus Reviews. That's Disney P-L-U-S Reviews. Hey, Phil, how about that, Baby Yoda? Baby Yoda says, what's the podcast? Do you like sports? Because we like sports. Let's talk about sports. It's Sports Jack. Sports Jack. It's Sports Jack. Welcome to Monday's episode, episode 186. Well, normally we give you the number and we associate it with some stat from sports, but it just seems, given the news of the day, the 186 will forever be known as the Kobe Bryant episode. Family Broadcasting Corporation, in association with the Studio DNA Podcast Network, presents Sports Yak. One host knows sports. And who's right there? The other doesn't know sports, but somehow they meet in the middle. It's all the way! It is! It's good! Here's your host, Corey Mann. Get your big butt out of here! And Indiana Sports Broadcast Hall of Famer, this one will be relived, Chuck Freebie. Forever! Of course, the news is that Kobe Bryant, the basketball icon, died in a helicopter crash on Sunday, along with his 13-year-old daughter, Gianna. They were going to one of her travel basketball games, along with two of her teammates and parents and a coach and the pilot, and nine people perished in this helicopter crash. And the focus, of course, will go on Bryant because he is the celebrity of the group, no question about it. Um, But there are many, many families affected by this, and... You know, you take a moment to try to lift them all in prayer. You think of the Altabelli family. He was a baseball coach at a community college in California. His wife on the plane, his daughter or on the helicopter, his daughter on the helicopter as well. And they have two other children who now have to find a way to forge on without their parents. Mm. Yeah, and, you know, I haven't heard at all is the family of the pilot or pilots. Yes, one pilot and, uh, you know, his family grieves as well, and we may never know. Uh, we may find out. We may never know uh, the decisions that he made that had to do with this. But the focus, of course, on Kobe Bryant because he is one of the NBA's all-time stars. I referred to him on the sportscast this morning as the poster boy for the NBA in the 90s and the 2000s, literally the poster boy because you think of the guys that are playing in the NBA today And they had Kobe's poster in their room. He was a tremendous influence on them. And you could tell that in the games yesterday where teams would take uh, eight-second backcourt violations to honor his number eight, 24-second shot clock violations to honor his number 24, 
and you could see the emotions uh, on the faces of those who played yesterday, especially early in the games, as they were coming to grips with the fact that Kobe Bryant was no longer alive. I was sitting in the living room uh, visiting with my oldest and her husband. Uh, we made the trek to where they live. So in the room, just for uh, the seating chart, you had a 50-year-old, a 23-year-old, and a 13-year-old. And when he started getting text messages about Kobe, he kind of went into his shell. Mm -hmm. And my son was like, so was Kobe a great player? And I thought, what an interesting dynamic that's happening here. My son is sold on Zion Williamson. He knows who who uh, LeBron is, but sure. that's not his player. Right. Because my, LeBron's 35. LeBron's 35. Luke, my son-in-law, his guy was Kobe Bryant. Mm -hmm. Watching the afternoon unfold, the genuine sadness of like, this This is the reason I watched basketball. And I thought, you know what? The same. I would probably act the same way if the news comes down the horn about Jordan. Sure. Because Jordan is our guy. Yes. You know, 50, 50 years old and above. But it's interesting how they have these levels. And I think also social media has changed the way that all unfolds. You know, like immediately he, he was kind of standing there with his phone. I said, turn on ESPN. This feels like it's sports related. So they'll probably go wall to wall coverage. But it was so, so, so quick in the story it, they hadn't gotten to it yet. Well, ESPN2 apparently was where they did most of the coverage. Okay. Because uh, ESPN had the Pro Bowl on. Okay. So, and uh, and the guys in the Pro Bowl found out just before they came out of the locker room. And so they decided uh, their gesture was going to be every time they made a big play, they were going to act like Kobe taking a jump shot. Okay. And there was a lot of that going on. Uh, ESPN2 did four hours of commercial-free coverage uh, yesterday. Uh, some A lot of people lauded them for their coverage. I didn't watch any of that. Uh, I was kind of following along on social media. And I'll get to the lack of journalistic expertise shown yesterday in a moment. Uh, but let's look at the career of Kobe Bryant. Five NBA championships. Two Olympic gold medals, now the um, now the fourth leading scorer in NBA history. LeBron had just passed him Saturday night, hmm. paying tribute to him by uh, putting Mamba Forever and eight slash twenty four on the sneakers because eight and twenty four were the numbers that Kobe Bryant wore. And you asked me about this today. Well, why did he wear eight? Why did he wear twenty four? He wore eight when he came into the league, having played over in Italy. That was his number over in Italy. And he wore eight until Shaq left the Lakers after they had won three straight titles. And he felt like he needed a clean start. The other reason he felt like he needed a clean start, and I apologize for those who think that I'm picking on the dead, but this is part of the story of Kobe Bryant, is the fact that when he was uh, rehabbing from knee surgery in 2003, he was in Colorado uh, and accused of raping a woman in his hotel room. Now, he admitted having sex with the woman but denied rape. The judge eventually dropped the charges. The woman filed a civil lawsuit against Bryant that was settled out of court. But that, at that point, Kobe Bryant also felt, I need something to wipe the slate. 
And so he switched to 24. The amazing part about it is that was that was the dividing line of his career. He had 10 years of 8, 10 years of 24. He scored the difference between those 10 years was 91 points. You could almost split the points that he scored in his career directly. He scored mm. three times. He won three NBA titles wearing eight to wearing 24. He made eight NBA All-Star teams wearing eight. He made 10 wearing 24. And in his 20-year career, he scored over 33,000 points, and it's almost a 50-50 split wearing eight and 24. The irony to me um, was summed up in Esquire magazine. They wrote a story yesterday talking about Kobe. And they said to watch Bryant at his peak in his prime is to appreciate the terrible irony that he died in a fall from the sky. Because we think of Kobe and the incredible leaping ability that he had. And to see him soar in the air for so much of his career. And then to die in a fall from the sky is indeed terribly ironic. When would you say was the peak? Um... Boy, it, it's hard to say. He's, he had the one game in Toronto where he scored 81 points. But my gosh, in his final game as an NBA player, and granted, in that final game, everything's getting funneled to Kobe. Yeah. You know, shoot it, shoot it, shoot it. He scores 60 points in his final NBA game. I mean, he still, he still was a terrific player at the end of his career. After 20 years. And and you hear the stories about the work ethic. He's he's part of the USA national team that Krzyzewski is coaching. And they have a trainer, and the trainer introduces himself to all the guys and, and says, hey, anytime you guys want to get extra work in, here's my number. Give me a call. 4.15 in the morning, trainer's phone rings. And it's Kobe, and he goes, hey, I hope I'm not waking you. I hope I'm not interrupting you, but I want to get some extra work in. Guy goes, great, we'll meet in the gym at 5 a.m. So the guy gets to the gym. Kobe's already worked up a sweat. He puts him through an hour-and-a-half workout. And then Kobe starts um, doing some ball handling drills. And the guy, the trainer goes back to the hotel room, gets a nap, because he's expected to be there at 11 a.m., for the whole team. And at 11 a.m. he gets there and he sees Kobe putting up jumpers. And he says, hey, he goes, nice work today. He goes, oh, thanks. And uh, he goes, uh, when did when did you get back? He goes, well, I didn't leave. He goes, I've been putting up jumpers since 7 a.m. He says, I wanted to have 800 makes before practice started. So that's the work ethic. That was the mindset, this Mamba mentality that we always heard of Kobe Bryant. And you know, there were nights, Corey, you just you watched him play and you saw the look in his eyes and you said the Lakers are not losing tonight. Yeah. So uh just a tremendous talent. And as far as the incident in Colorado is concerned, it's interesting that uh he said one of the things that helped him recover from that was talking to a priest. And he went he he grew up Catholic and he went and talked to a priest and uh, the priest in the confessional said, well, did you do it? 
And Kobe goes, of course not. And the priest says, well, do you have a good lawyer? And Kobe goes, yeah, he's phenomenal. So the priest said, okay, let it go. Move on. God's not going to give you anything you can't handle. It's in his hands now. It's something you can't control, so let it go. And Kobe says that was kind of a turning point for him where it's like, okay, I, I'm all right with God. That's that's a good place to be. Chuck, when he retired, was it injuries? Was it 20 years, I'm done? It's 20 years, I'm done. You know, I'm ready to move on to another phase. And, my gosh, he won an Oscar. Yeah. He won an Oscar in the second phase of his life. And and he and his wife had reconciled after this horrible Colorado incident, and they had started a foundation, and they were doing work with youth sports, and they were doing work with the homeless and things like that. And he was starting this entertainment company, and he was also a very big advocate because of his daughters of women's sports. And he he was going to have, it by all appearances, a tremendous second phase of life. Mm. Okay. But uh, unfortunately, that's that's all cut short now, and that's part of what makes uh, makes it all so tragic. So let's talk a little bit about how it unfolded yesterday afternoon through the media. <sighs> this frustrated the ever living out of me, and and I will <laughs> I will try to refrain from using abusive language on this show. However, uh I, I take reporting very seriously. I try to be as accurate as possible in the information I present. And when my wife says, hey, what's the stuff that I'm seeing about Kobe on social media? I hadn't looked at my phone in about a half hour. And so I start looking, and I'm seeing stuff, but I'm not seeing it from sources that I really trust. Okay. You know, I'm seeing it from TMZ. I'll be honest. And TMZ was the first to report it. But... TMZ's track record is not always 100%. So I've got to see it from multiple sources and multiple sources that I trust before I'm going to put it out. And it didn't take long. It didn't take long before it's like, okay, here's Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN. Boom. He's got it. That I'll, uh, I'll trust Woj. He's, he's very accurate and very good about what he puts out. So we had learned that Kobe had died in the crash. Then somebody from ABC News reports that all of his daughters are on the helicopter with him. You know, there are five people dead, and it's Kobe and all four of his daughters. Somebody else is out there putting that Rick Fox, the former Warsaw basketball player who was a teammate of Kobe's on the Lakers, was on there too. Neither one of those proved to be accurate. And I don't understand. I just don't understand how reporters keep their jobs after putting out such disinformation and misinformation on a story this big. I don't get it. And it really ticks me off. Because then what happens is people who trust the reporting of these people go and spread it, and it goes like wildfire these days in social media. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And maybe there are repercussions that I don't know about. But doggone it, we've got to do better. We have to do better as journalists if we're covering a story like this. Get it right. It's not important to have it first. Nobody cares who has it first. But they do care about having it right. 
That's your old guy rant. Not too old. We just finished watching The Newsroom from HBO. Do you remember yeah. that show? It was about ten, yeah. almost 10 years ago mm-hmm. now. And one of their episodes dealt exactly with that was we're going to need two reliable sources before we open our mouth. And it was an old, the old news director was the one holding like, no, you don't just go on the air and say what you think and what you think you heard. We are a news organization, you know, and we're going to wait for some solid, you know, we're going to do our homework. But I felt that way yesterday afternoon. Like people are just throwing stuff out. What's this whole thing about being first? No one's going to look back on this and go, well, at least I heard it from this. Exactly. Nobody, nobody cares. But, the, but see, this is the bubble that people live in. Yeah. You know, as you all know, or I think most of you know who listen to this podcast, I do some work at WNDU. So from time to time, I will drop in there and see people, and, and I kind of have a chance to observe what they view as important. And I try to tell some of these people what you view as important is not important to the public. Yeah. They don't care. They keep... I, I'm I'm going to share some inside dirt here, and I hope I don't pay a price for this. They keep track of the tweets from other stations. I don't care. I don't care what other stations are tweeting. Take care of what you're tweeting. That's That's unfortunate. Nevertheless. Yeah, that headline this morning I shared with you, it's like, I don't care about what Rudy thinks about the... Oh, my gosh. That, that wasn't that, a story. And, and see, that's that's the pressure put on every local. You have to find a local connection to the oh. story with Kobe and, and make it relevant to... You don't think Kobe's already relevant to your viewers? You don't need a local connection to Kobe to make it relevant. Right. Now... I will tell you, immediately when I heard the news, part of me thought of Arike Agumboale because remember the Ellen episode Oh yeah, after she hit the game-winning shot against UConn and she was telling Ellen about how one of her heroes was Kobe Bryant and it was so cool to see him in the stands and then out walked Kobe with a jersey for her and I thought how heartbroken she must be mm-hmm. uh, to hear this news. So, I mean... Yes, you could replay that. That could be your local connection, whatever. But you get tired of hearing, well, we've got to make everything relevant to our viewers. If you don't think Kobe Bryant is relevant to your viewers, he transcends just about every area of life that there is. It doesn't matter if you're Democrat or Republican. It doesn't matter if you're a basketball fan or not. You've heard of Kobe Bryant. I'll segue from, unfortunately, one death story to another and then kind of use that to segue into some Notre Dame stuff that's not on the chart here. Okay. So uh, another death that happened over the weekend was Gene Corrigan, who was the former athletic director at the University of Notre Dame, went on to become commissioner of the ACC, and then for a brief time was head of the NCAA. Gene Corrigan, of all the athletic directors I've been around, was the best and the classiest. He was the athletic director. This is not a bad track record. He hired Lou Holtz and Muffet McGraw. Mm-hmm. How's that working out for you? So he was the AD at Notre Dame from 1981 to 1987. I worked in the sports information office when I was a student. That was my work-study job. Okay. And so I had, the, I had access to Gene Corrigan. 
And Gene Corgan, even though I was a student and really couldn't help him whatsoever, always took an interest. Whenever I saw him, he took an interest in me, even though I wasn't an athlete. He took an interest in me and what I was doing and how I was doing. And it was that way for everybody who worked in his athletic department. And the thing that I appreciate about Gene Corrigan is that he took the time to try to groom people to succeed in whatever they were going to do. Okay. So, you know, obviously he worked in an athletic department. The people around him, he wanted to see them succeed. And he knew he wasn't going to be at Notre Dame forever. So, you know, perhaps one of these people under me will become my successor. Now, it didn't work out that way, but there were people under him who went on to do great things. And, of course, his son Kevin has been the lacrosse coach at Notre Dame now for 30 years. He's got another son uh, nicknamed Boo. (laughs) His actual name is Eugene Corrigan Jr., but his nickname is Boo. Boo's the athletic director at North Carolina State. Uh, he's got a uh, granddaughter, Sid, who works for the Atlantic Coast Conference. I mean, you know, the tentacles of this family go mm. deep. Gene Corgan, great administrator, uh, great man, and left an incredible legacy upon college athletics. Now, when we talk about Notre Dame, let's segue into Notre Dame basketball. Don't get fouled on that last one. And that steal, you get fouled on that. How about the walk on Fluger at half court? Sometimes we're treated we're treated by the officials like we haven't brought football as a full member, but yet we get a full share of the ACC <laughs> network TV. Are you kidding me? He tees up our bench from across the court because he's pissed off at us. I'm frustrated, man. And I tip it to Captain Florida State. They make great plays. I love Leonard. He's a good friend, and they're a great team. you got to be kidding me, man. Come on, man. We're in the league, too. We're in the league, too, now. Come on. Come on, John Gaffney. God. Congratulations, Florida State. You're fearless. Great team. They can win. Interesting development that just happened before we started recording our podcast, the Atlantic Coast Conference has publicly reprimanded Mike Bray and fined Notre Dame $20,000 for Bray's comments about the officiating after Saturday night's game with Florida State. Unfortunately, the game with Florida State was on the ACC network, and I'm a CONCAPS subscriber, so I don't get the ACC network. I'll have to go on the account of my son, Peter Freebie, who basically told me that the Irish had several calls go against them down the stretch of this game that he felt impacted the game. And Mike Bray would concur with him and basically said as much after the game. Mike Bray's comments after the game were that the ACC officials hold it against Notre Dame, that they're not a full-fledged member in football, and that they're still getting the money from the ACC network and that they put the screws to Notre Dame any chance they get. And that's what's got him the public reprimand and the $20,000. Now, to be fair to the ACC, of the three officials working that game on Saturday night, only one of them is a full-fledged ACC official. The other two are just national officials who were assigned to the game. Mm. Uh, and And in another fair and accurate statement, 
if you want to beat a team like Florida State, uh, don't play Gandhi-like defense for the first 35 minutes of the game, allowing them to rack up points as though uh, they're racking up uh, coins in a slot machine in Vegas. And that would be a way to help win the game, too. The Irish made an incredible comeback. There were probably fouls that should have been called against Florida State that weren't. Uh, there was one time where uh, the shot clock didn't reset properly. The officials didn't catch it and didn't fix it and it forced Notre Dame into a half-court shot. All that said, does Mike Bray have a, have a grievance? He probably does. Could Notre Dame have done some different things to help win that game? Most definitely. So, But that's the breaking news this morning that Bray has been publicly reprimanded and it will cost Notre Dame $20,000. Now, they have it. I don't think we have to hold a telethon. Uh, nevertheless. Yowzer. Also college basketball yesterday. Indiana. Archie Miller, what are you doing? You got a six-point lead going down the stretch. And you're letting Devontae Green take some wild jumpers yesterday that weren't anywhere close to going in. And Jalen Smith puts Maryland on its back, on his back, and brings them back from a six-point deficit to win 77-76 at Assembly Hall. A game the Hoosiers could have and should have won gets away, and they fall to five and four in Big Ten play, and they're now sixth place in the Big Ten. In the grand scheme of things, okay, it's it's not that big a deal. They're still going to make the NCAA tournament, but it's when games like this slip away that people kind of raise an eyebrow to the coaching of Archie Miller and the way that he uses his personnel. I saw a Jalen Smith tweet yesterday afternoon. Did you see that? Okay, so here's what happens. At the end of that game, Jalen Smith goes over and basically taunts the IU fans in Assembly Hall saying this is my court, you know, he's feeling his oats somewhat mm. after Maryland wins the game. And that was not well-received, not only by the IU faithful, but just by college basketball in general. You, there's some things you just don't do. You know, win with class, lose with class. Okay, That wasn't exactly viewed as a classy gesture by Jalen Smith. And so... um his coach, Mark Turgeon, talked to him about it. Other people talked to him about it. And two hours after the game, he issued an apology uh, through social media um, that I think was fairly well accepted. I mean, hey, we're dealing with college kids. It's an emotional game. They got a big road win. There's been a lot of questions about this Maryland team as to they're kind of a Jekyll and Hyde group. So I'm sure he hears some of that. And they get a big road win, and he's feeling his oats. But you know, handle it classily, and and next time he probably will. How about the Spartans, Chuck? Well, they get a big road win at Minnesota. They looked very solid in both halves of that game. Cassius Winston, 18 points, 8 assists. Tom Izzo's team tied with Illinois for the Big Ten lead after a 70-52 to triumph. As we know, Corey, those Big Ten road wins don't come that often, but they're coming a little bit more often here as we – Head towards February as both Maryland and Michigan State picking them up yesterday. Let's talk about high school basketball. Well, let's start. Uh, we'll start on the boys' side with what happened over the weekend. We had Westview at Fairfield 
on Friday night. I was telling you a little bit about this game this morning. Owen Miller of Fairfield had a career night. Sophomore, scores 29 points, career high, never had a game like that. And a Fairfield team that had problems scoring um, put 58 on the board against Westview, which isn't shabby. The problem is Westview scored 75, and their star player, Charlie Yoder, had a triple-double. We had him for 26 points, 14 rebounds, 10 assists. I think the Westview stats had him for 26 points, 15 rebounds, and 13 assists. Whatever way, triple-double, and it was very impressive to watch. And Westview is now 11-3 and because they turned around and beat Garrett on Saturday night and kept themselves in the Northeast Corner Conference race. Some of the other results that uh, raised an eyebrow over the weekend, Culver Academy, and we'll show them Saturday night on TV 46, won its own invitational. In doing so, they beat Riley. The final score of the championship game was 54-40. to Riley's Blake Wesley had 34 points in that game. Remember... I said Riley as a team scored 40, and he scored 34. (laughs) That would seem to be a bit of a problem. You might need to get some support from some other folks. Uh, John Adams lost to Chesterton, only the second loss of the year for the Eagles. They lost to Chesterton by 12 on the road, missed a lot of easy shots, did not hit a three-pointer in that game. I would expect Chad Johnston's team to, to bounce back well from that one. A big development in the Northern Lakes Conference. Plymouth was upset by Wawasee Friday night. Saturday night, Northridge beats Elkhart Memorial, so now Northridge is all alone atop the Northern Lakes Conference standings. That's on the boys' side. On the girls' side, sectional draw was held last night. We've got all the pairings on the 46 Sports Twitter and Facebook pages, but I'll go through the ranked teams. So 7th-ranked Penn, they're in the Warsaw sectional. There are five teams in that sectional with 14 wins or more this year. So it's going to be a rough road for Penn. They start off against Northridge. Northridge is not one of the teams that has had a successful season in terms of wins and losses, but they've played probably the second toughest schedule in the state of Indiana. And Doug Springer's Raiders will be well prepared for whatever Penn throws at them. Now, I think the talent of Penn might win out overall. Christy Kineski-Alridge has done a great job with that squad. They're going to win the NIC title when they beat Mishawaka this week. But it's a, it's a tough opener for Penn. And then you've also got in that section of Warsaw, Elkhart Central, Concord, and Goshen, all teams with 14 wins or more. Northwood is ranked number nine in Class 3A. Uh, they opened the Lakeland sectional against Tippecanoe Valley. A lot of people think Tippecanoe Valley is probably the second-best team in that sectional, but it's a blind draw, and Northwood's got to start with Tippy Valley right out of the gate. So there's a good test for Adam Yoder's team. He won't have to worry about his team being focused or looking ahead. They can look right at the task of hand. In 2A, North Judson, which handed Knox its first loss of the year on Saturday night, they open up against a Winnemac team that beat North Judson during the regular season. Blue Jays are ranked number 9. They've got a player named Lily Frazier, who I understand Notre Dame is taking a look at. And so North Judson has to open up against Winnemac in a very balanced and power-packed sectional. And then in 1A, boy, Terry Minnix at Oregon Davis, you must be living right. You've got the bye, you've got an easy path to the finals, and Oregon Davis, ranked number 5 in Class 1A, should dominate in the sectional down at Culver. 
you zip past this uh, pretty quick here. You said the word Saturday, and you're the Friday night guy. Mm-hmm. What's going on this weekend? So we're going to do two games. Um, Friday night, we're going to do New Prairie and John Glenn in the Northern Indiana Conference. But we wanted to find a way to get Culver Academy on because they have Trey Galloway, a young man that's going to play at Indiana University. As a matter of fact, they have four Division One players in their starting lineup. But Culver Academy doesn't play a lot of Friday night games um, in our viewing area. Okay. So it's tough to shoehorn them in on a Friday night. So you have to look for other matchups. And to be honest, they don't play a lot of home games. They've been road warriors this year. So in talking to Mark Galloway, their head coach before the season, uh, we talked about you know what, what is a good matchup we don't want a blowout game. We want a good competitive matchup. And he suggested Indianapolis Cathedral, who plays for the city title in Indianapolis tonight against Bishop Chittard. Hmm. And so it'll be uh, Culver Academy and Cathedral on Saturday night from Oliver Jim. Okay. Uh, quick hit on Pro Bowl. Uh, AFC beat the NFC 38-33. Like I mentioned, uh, the big story out of that game was the guys learning about Kobe before the game and and trying to pay tribute to him in as many ways they can. The the bigger story probably comes from the high school football ranks where Jimtown is going to promote its defensive coordinator, Corey Stoner. He'll be named as the head coach at the Bogo School Board meeting tonight. Stoner has been the baseball coach at Jimtown. He's a young guy. He's in his 20s. Um, he's a Bethel grad, Okay, which it, there's some irony there since Bethel doesn't have a football team. Uh, but a Bethelgrad will take over as the head coach of the Jimtown football program. They must have seen something they liked in him on the sidelines. Well, he was the defensive coordinator last year, and uh, Mike Campbell had been public in praising his game plans uh, during the season, and Jimtown had uh, four or five finalists that they interviewed, some from the outside, some from the inside. But I assume Mike Campbell is going to continue as a teacher at the school, so that limits the opening. So, and Jimtown has always been, uh, I'm going to use the word parochial, not in the sense of, that we think of parochial schools, which are Catholic private schools, but parochial from the standpoint of they like to stay in house with stuff. Okay. Uh, they like to have Jimtown people coach at Jimtown. And the fact that Corey Stoner has been there for a while and understands the culture there at the school, I think probably played. To his benefit in this. Australian Open news. Coco Golf is gone. Coco. No more Coco. No, no. No, no, Coco. Uh, she lost to Sophia Lennon or uh, Levin from the United States last night. Uh, Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal move on. They'll be in the quarterfinals, as will Ashley Barty. Ashley Barty, the top seed, needed three sets and won 6 4 in the third set, but she survives. And moves on at the Australian Open, which has uh, provided some very entertaining tennis so far in the in the first week. Now we'll see uh, how push comes to shove here in week two. I want to tell you real quick, uh, uh, Debbie and I deep dove into Cheer on Netflix. Okay. The six-part documentary about the uh, junior college down in uh, Texas, Navarro College. They're 13-time cheerleading champs. My daughter's like, hey, you might want to give this a watch because it was a little reminiscent of her time at Penn High School as a competitive palm. Sure. 
you know, about a notch below with this team. But, I mean, there was something about it. Everybody's talking about it. We watched it. It was pretty good. Pretty sad. Uh, the injuries that this team faces. I mean, when they're working out, trying to get themselves ready for Daytona. But it was a decent show. Okay. I, I enjoyed it. Um, my pop culture weekend, I uh, saw 1917. Okay. And was extremely impressed. I think Sam Mendes has to win the Oscar for Best Director. Uh, it's the best picture I've seen in some time. I, I'm not sure I'm going to join your friend who said best picture I've seen in 20 years, but he's not my friend. It's really, really good. And I was glad you saw it. I a I was glad you saw it, and I was glad that you liked it. There's nothing more than when you tell somebody like, sure. "Man, I really would think that you should go see this and you'd like it." And when I read your tweet yesterday, I was like. I had one of those moments. <laughs> um, you know, you shouldn't put so much pressure on yourself. But, well, I'm a nerd. Um, my tweet basically said it felt like two hours in an oxygen deprivation chamber because yeah. it literally takes your breath away for two hours. Yeah. And uh, terrific performance, I think, by George McKay, who I had never heard of before, but I thought he was superb in the lead role. Yeah. And, you know, then you find out Colin Firth and Benedict Cumberbatch are in it in very small roles, uh, but I'm sure they won't mind having that on their resume. Uh, the director had Cumberbatch show up for six months in uniform, in character, and said, stand in this room, the scene where he's in. Yeah. And he's like, well, when is it? He goes, we'll get to you because they shot the film in order. And we want you to be in character if we get to a point where we're going to make it into that room. So for six months, he stood in character every day. Oh, by the way, for $25 million. Well, <laughs> so he was well compensated for his time. Too well, uh, if you ask me. <laughs> yeah, Never, nevertheless, um, I'm glad I didn't know that beforehand because I would have just, uh, they paid him $25 million for that. For that? Um, that, that was a colossal waste of his time. But but not for that money. That's that's not a waste of time. That's easy. That's called easy money. Um, the other thing that I watched, and and perhaps you may have recommended this one over the weekend. I'm not sure. Apple TV and Little America. I started watching that this weekend too. Um, I got through three episodes. We we made it through two, and I wasn't sure, especially when I'm watching the opening credits and hearing the music on the first one. Yeah, that was I was just like, interesting music, I'm wasn't it? I'm not sure I'm into this at all. Uh, but I thought it was good storytelling. It's basically uh, true life stories dramatized of immigrants who have come to the United States and the contributions that they have been able to make. Yeah, the story of them being here. Yes, I think the music matched the um, ethnicity. Yes, it did. Kind of setting the table Because of... there was different music for the different episodes. Yeah. And that's all well and good, but um, <laughs> when I heard, you know, you get a little sniff and then you have the opening credits come up and I'm like, I'm kind of looking at Diane like, you sure you want to stick around for this? I watched the interview with the executive producer because he's the guy that got the uh, Marvel show and he ended up getting ripped for a year. Uh, Kamal, he's a stand-up comedian. Oh, okay. Uh, he's the executive producer. and I watched an interview with him and he and his wife have their hand on that, that you know, little documentaries or whatever you'd want to yeah. call those. 
I just love a great story of somebody sticking to their guns. Well, and it's it's good storytelling. Yeah. That's what I liked about it, is it was good storytelling. You you quickly became invested in the characters, mm-hmm. so to speak, in these people and their stories, and you weren't sure what way it was going to go. Right. So that, to me, is the hallmark of a good story. Yeah. That first one, just the... You know, the young man getting into the spelling bee, but you knew why he was going into the spelling bee because he had an agenda. Right. And then the young girl who, uh, what was it, Squash? Yes. And that coach that wouldn't let, let up on her, but she kind of got a glimpse of what this could lead to if she sticks to her guns. Right. So I, I love any kind of story like that. Yeah. And when they're true stories, even better, you know? Also, uh, CBS over the weekend had 48 hours and i don't know if you watched any of this or not but it was on the pelly murders down in lakeville back in 1989 okay and i thought that was a a well-done documentary there's a book that has come out recently um kind of telling the one sister one sister's side of the story and uh it, it was very emotional for some of the people who were in it mark center who is now the mayor of plymouth was one of the lead detectives from the Indiana State Police on the case. Hmm. And he was the first one to walk in from the police force and discover the bodies and see what he saw. And understandably, that's something that still plays in his mind. And so uh, I, I would caution anybody who... You don't necessarily have to worry about squeamishness, but knowing how big a story that was 30 years ago mm-hmm. in this community, um, if if you're somewhat invested or you remember that well, when you watch it, it might bring back some unpleasant memories. Okay. Um, on the other hand, it's interesting to see how they tell that story as well. Okay. I'm so. guessing that'll be on a CBS app. I could probably track that down. Yeah, I, I'm sure you could stream it this week because it just aired Saturday night, so you could go back and get it on demand or streaming through CBS. Great. All right. I feel like this episode needs to be wrapped up. Well, I think we've we've covered a lot, and uh, if I've offended anybody, I don't apologize. <laughs> There's that. Uh, thanks for listening. Hit the subscribe button so you don't miss an episode. You can download it and listen to it later. Till next time, Yak fans. Ooga Black Mamba. We've had some fun. Yeah, the show is done. Now we gotta run. It's Sport Check. Sport Check. Sport Check is not filmed in front of a live studio audience. We done. You've been listening to Sports Yak with Chuck Freebie and Corey Mann as himself. Produced by Corey Mann. The Sports Yak theme song by Rhett Walker. Production elements and voiceovers by AudibleGenesis.com. Engineered by Phil Souza. Executive producer is Danae Hughes. In partnership with the Studio DNA Podcast Network. Interested in your own podcast? Contact Danae at Danae at StudioDNA.media. Sports Yak archives available on iTunes, Spotify, and Spreaker.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. 
Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.